Hey, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women, where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. The stress of the coronavirus has brought the conversation about mental health into greater focus. So today, we wanted to bring you a special Encore episode that shares the story of two female entrepreneurs of color who built their business around helping people with their mental health and wellness. Now we're going to take some deep breaths together. For this, place one hand on your belly and the other on your heart. Feel your belly and lungs expand on the inhale and feel them get softer on the exhale. You may remember our episode with co-founders Mara Leidy and Naomi Hirabayashi from earlier this year, who founded the company Shine. They started out sending subscribers text messages with positive affirmations. Now Shine has grown into an app and daily podcast that offers its 4 million member digital community meditations and strategies to reduce anxiety. So first, just remember that you're doing your best. You're doing your part for yourself and your community by staying informed. But you can balance that by caring for your mental health too. Given all the change and challenges in the world because of the coronavirus outbreak, we wanted to check in with Shine to see how their business is doing. And co-founder Naomi Hirabayashi is joining us today to give us the update. Welcome, Naomi. Hi, Veronica. Thanks for having me. First, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. I, you know, I'm feeling um, grateful and focused. That's great to hear. Tell us a bit about how you've adapted Shine to this difficult time that we're living in. We have the Daily Shine, which is this meditation meets podcast that helps you set your mindset up for the day. And given the time that we're in, you know, processing feelings of anxiety and stress has never been more important. And so as a company, um, we've seen a spike in demand both from a growth perspective and also engagement perspective, especially around our community features. And for us, we've done a few things to make sure that we're being really proactive for our community and the, the broader global community as it relates to providing support being a friend and um, offering our you know, community connection through this time. So in early March, uh, which feels like a very long time ago, but when we started to see um, the COVID news in the U.S. You know, increasing, um, we started to see a spike in our own engagement around anxiety-related content. And so we acted really quickly. Um, in 48 hours, we partnered with Mental Health America to launch virusanxiety.com. And it was essentially a, a comprehensive website, completely free resource for people struggling with anxiety related to um, the pandemic. And then what quickly became, um, you know, something that was maybe impacting some people or top of mind for some people in the U.S. quickly became the global reality for all of us. And so um, we've continued to evolve our offering through this time and our, our support. So we've actually donated over 2,000 subscriptions or 100,000 worth of revenue to any healthcare or essential worker um, or anyone impacted by lost wages just to, you know, provide that support for people that are the most severely impacted or, or on the front lines. Sounds helpful. So how is the business reacting to all these moves? Yeah, so from a business perspective, um, we're really grateful that we can be 
of such service to people because there's such a need. So I think what's most interesting is we've seen the highest um, months ever in terms of engagement and specifically engagement around our community features. So we recently launched earlier this year something called the Daily Discussion where every single day our community can come together and in response to the Daily Shine, what we call, it's basically our daily secular sermon that really grounds people for the day. We do one prompt in response to that theme and our community can post their advice, read other people's um, advice and essentially create the space where people can digitally congregate around that core theme. And we've seen um, there's a 300% increase in engagement around those community features after uh, the pandemic announcement. What are you seeing in terms of people downloading your app? Similarly, a really high spike in demand. So we're actually getting two times our daily baseline for installs than previous to the pandemic. And a big reason why is, you know, mental health is just top of mind for everybody. There's nobody that's not impacted in some way by this new reality. And so prioritizing your mental health Figuring out how you're being really proactive about how you're taking care of yourself is um, not just a, a nice to have, but, you know, a means of survival and an absolute need. This is a pretty tricky time for some startups and for business in general. Wondering how are things going on the financial side? For example, have you had to do any layoffs or apply for funding through the Paycheck Protection Program? We feel really grateful that we have not had to lay off anybody. And again, given our industry feeling really grateful that the need is so, so high for for what we do. Um, and then obviously being a digital company that's app-based makes remote work and this whole transition a lot easier. And then on the, the loan side, because we are seeing growth and engagement highs and um, are feeling stable and healthy as a business, we haven't applied for stimulus money and are holding on exploring any of those loans. Many people are feeling really emotional these days. One day we might be feeling upbeat and then the next day we might be feeling down or overwhelmed. So can you tell us a bit more about what your subscribers are feeling? Yes, the mix of emotions, as you said, is is very well put. Um, But what we've heard from our community is that since the pandemic began, 52% of people report that their mental health has worsened. And the number one reason is uncertainty about the future you know, the inability to really plan or understand what the future will look like. But what is interesting is we are seeing some powerful outcomes as well for the overall mental health landscape. So from our community survey, we also have seen that the pandemic is actually destigmatizing the conversation around mental health. So this, you know, powerful side effect of the collective anxiety that we're feeling, we're talking more openly about our mental health. We're opening up more to friends and family about how they're doing, how they're really doing, not just, hey, how you doing? Oh, good. Okay, moving on, but really asking. So one of the most stigmatized topics in our history is now being talked about more openly because of the fact that people know they're not alone in in what they're struggling with. And another interesting fact is the more that people are talking about their mental health, the more likely they are to to practice self-compassion. So that, you know, opening up and kind of releasing the stuff that's hard and making that connection, you know, virtually or in person with whoever you're quarantined with is helping you practice more self-compassion because you know you're not alone in what you're going through because this is just such an unprecedented time and there's no way to be fully prepared for it. Keeping in mind that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, what do you think's ahead in this space? Do you think this freeness, this ability to talk about these issues will continue after the pandemic is over? 
It's a good question. I, I hope and I believe that this is a line that we're crossing as a society in a really powerful way because um, there, there's this concept of spiral of silence. It's a communications theory. And the idea is that you, you have something that you're experiencing and you withhold speaking out about it for fear of being stigmatized. And all it takes is one person kind of raising their hand and saying, oh, I actually, I've had a panic attack too, or I, um, I am going through a hard time in my relationship as well. We've all had that moment where someone just kind of gives you that, that green light to say, hey, me too. And um, I think what's powerful is this line in the sand that's being written as a result of this collective experience in a good way is something that I don't think we can go back to. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll listen to the conversation we had with Naomi and Mara earlier this year at our studios in New York City. They tell us how they met, became friends, and raised millions in venture capital funding for Shine. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Ladies, you are both working at a nonprofit, DoSomething.org, that gets young people involved in social change. Naomi, you were the chief marketing officer, and Mara, you were the director of mobile product. When did you actually become closer? Mara, we'll start with you. So we met working together eight years ago. We were at a really pinnacle point, I would say, in our careers, and that we both were managing large teams, kind of coming into our own as leaders. And we spent a lot of our time there thinking about how do we scale out social change in a way that is intimate and also impactful. And maybe not surprisingly now, but I would certainly say eight years ago, what we found was that text messaging had a 98% open rate, and we found it was 40 times more effective than email and getting a young person to volunteer. So long story short, we ended up building an entire strategy and team around messaging young people and texting them about these different social causes. One of the impacts of that is they would text us back, right? Not surprisingly, they would say, um, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. I'm, I'm feeling anxious before school starts. Um, I'm thinking of coming out to my parents. Do you have any advice? And this idea of what we now think of as mass intimacy or really creating a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone at scale was, was really powerful. And on the flip side, we really enjoyed working together. Um, we actually roomed together during our first staff retreat and, um, you know, like told each other our life stories over wine. <laughs> um, it was a very beautiful experience. And I think what we ultimately built out was this incredible kind of symbiotic relationship with each other at work that ultimately led to the creation of Shine. So you're in this room, you're on this retreat together, you're talking, getting to know each other. How did you know you could trust each other? 
It's a good question. I would say I I didn't trust Naomi at first. She knows this. <laughs> Part of the reason why is because Naomi was so positive. She wasn't um, positive in any kind of like light or fluffy way, but she was someone at at work. She was this chief marketing officer, had a you know very serious big title, and was married. And you know, I was in my early twenties. I was like, whoa, you're thirty. What is that like? <laughs> um, and this woman was just like crushing it. She was the woman that um, everybody wanted to have in a brain storm, but also to take hard challenges to um, the woman that people wanted to do coffee with when they were struggling at work. She was just kind of this uplifting force at the organization. And so it's not that I didn't trust her as a person, but in terms of, of my assumptions, I don't think I'd realized it until we had this conversation that fateful night at staff retreat. But I very much assumed that because she was so happy and positive that her life must have been really easy. And so it was it was a really great opportunity for me to question my own assumptions. And I think she ended up sharing first. And that kind of opened opened yeah. my my mind up and I think created a safe space for me to also feel like there was some nuance in being somebody who has struggled and also somebody who can be um, positive and uplifting and, and to make real change. Naomi, how did you know you could share your story with her? She was just someone that was very curious, you could tell, and really smart. Um, Mara and I just started talking about where, you know, where we come from and the environments that we grew up in and what brought us to do something. I mean, do something is a place that's trying to create a more, you know, civic minded social action generation. And so that naturally attracts people that there's usually a story. There's usually a story to why you're there and why you're trying to enact change. And, um, that wasn't the lens I think that we started with at that night, but it was just kind of digging in. And it's funny, eight years later, we just went out the other night and caught up as not just as co-founders, but just as friends. And we're catching up on the things that matter in life, like what's going on in your relationship? You know, how's how's your family doing? What are you stressed about? And it's that same level of, of connection that, you know, started in that hotel room um, and is permeated in terms of what we're trying to build with Shine, which is really this this community for all of us where people feel less alone in what they're going through. Mara, at what point did you know that this was a business idea? I think for us, we very much felt that we were passionate about a specific problem, and that problem was this idea of feeling less alone in what you were going through and having a support system, right? And so when we asked our friends, well, where do you go now? How do you check in with your emotional health now? Um, we heard things like, I Google it. That was definitely the number one mm -hmm. response. Shine started out as a messaging experience called the Shine Text. And from that prototype and getting 50 people for a month getting a daily text from us, um, we immediately heard overwhelming feedback that this was changing their lives. Um, the first text we got was, I can't believe how different I feel every morning after a week of getting your texts. And so that for us said, we're on to something. There's absolutely something here. And and then it took us a couple of months to, to get the confidence yeah. to, you know, quit the job and, and raise the money. How did you know this was a business and not a nonprofit? We recently just updated what we are calling our operating pledge, which speaks to how we think about being stewards of capital and how we use our funds. For Shine, when we said, what are we, how do we think about mission and purpose and dollars? First and foremost, um, we are here to build a massive company and a massive business because we think that's what's going to change the world. We believe that the nonprofit system in America is is fundamentally challenged. And, and again, that the dollars that are coming to fund nonprofits are coming from people who have built really successful exactly. companies, right? Yeah. And so, and those people don't look like us, right? And right. so 
we need more people that look like us to be able to give the dollars that um, we're making back into our communities. Shine over indexes for marginalized communities. We're 40% non-white. 57% of our users don't have a full-time job, right? Like we over-index for lower socioeconomic statuses. All of that um, is the direct result of putting people like Naomi and I in positions of power and having the funding to do um, the work that we're doing. And so we think that the, the, the impact that we can make in this idea of the stakeholder theory and, and kind of our operating pledge is about what we do with our dollars. First and foremost, it goes back to our investors. We are here for um, to serve the, the wider community we're a part of. Secondly, it goes to our own community, meaning our users and our team. And third, it goes back to the wider mental health community. And that's what we believe being responsible stewards of capital looks like in this era. I want to shift back to your starting the business a bit. How did you find the time to do this while working your day job? You said it was a side hustle at first. So how did you manage that balance? We got creative. Um, it's you know our product is still to this day a daily product. So the daily shine, we almost think of it as this daily secular sermon where we have millions of people every day who are coming together to engage with our content around a different self care theme every day. So today's shine text is around realistically accomplishing things. Right, we start the day with these insane to do lists and then often can feel drained and exhausted at the end of the day when we didn't get through them. Um, so it's typically written in the form of af- of an affirmation. So mine says, you can do anything, Mara, but you can't do everything at once. Create a stress list today to help you cope with the pressure. And then if you dig in a little bit more, it tells you that the definition of stress is when it feels like the demands placed on you, like work or school, relationships, exceed your ability to cope which is so helpful because I think for our users, a lot of what we do is we give them language. We say it's not, we all know we're stressed. We all know we're anxious, but what is stress and how can I manage it? Um, so when we started, we would send the text at I think 7.30 in the morning. So we would get up at 6.30. We usually would meet, um, shout out to LPQ in yes. Union Square. We would meet there um, and have basically a working session in the morning when we could cut out for lunch for a working session then. And then similarly um, after work, which was great because it, it involved wine usually. Um, but I think uh, the hardest part was not the side hustle piece. It was the side hustle piece plus the raising money. So we actually raised a round of almost a million dollars on the side. And it was our first time ever raising venture capital. Um, so we very much uh, learned a lot about ourselves through that process. We did everything from taking investor phone calls and ATM banks. Um, we got our first term sheet and we ran downstairs uh, from the do something office. There was an envelope store downstairs and it was the only place we could go. It was freezing cold outside. And um, we went in and, and got a call from the investor and, you know, we're crying in the envelope store. <laughs> I, still, I still wonder what their impression is of us. <laughs> Very passionate about envelopes. We bought some magnets with like a cheesy quote on it that day. Like, this is our time. Um, but, but we very much got creative. And I think, uh, you, you know, obviously, you know so much about resilience, but I think for us, we our whole story and the reason we bonded was because of our resilience. It was because of talking about the hard things that we went through. Right. Certainly our goals and the you know things that we wanted to do in our life, but so much connected to um, what are the things that we've struggled with or what are the things we're struggling with now? And so I think that, you know, for me, it wasn't until I really entered the corporate workforce that I knew that. I, I recognize what a differentiator that was to have built that resilience throughout my childhood to see that I, um, you know, I use my stress and anxiety to fuel me. I, I didn't get flustered as easy. I took criticism and I, I took that as like a, an opportunity to take ownership. How did you know you were financially ready to make the leap and go full time with Shine? 
we didn't know we were financially ready. And I think that's an important distinction because one of the things that we struggled with because of our background was a lot of the narratives around starting a company, right? Like I slept on my friend's couch for a year and I didn't pay myself. And everybody is coming to this journey, the entrepreneurship journey with a set of experiences and um, privilege or lack of privilege. But it was confusing for us because we certainly have a lot of privilege um, in that we had a network that we could kind of tap into to get some of these intros and learn more about the VC space, amazing supportive partners, each other. Um, But we had credit card debt. We didn't have any savings. And um, the whole like friends and family round, we were so confused by that. Um, You know, for context, everyone talks about usually a first round of a a startup is you raise from your friends and families, right. and I'm doing air quotes right now. Okay. And what that means is wealthy people that you know. Yeah. And we were like, what is, who Who are these people talking what about? What uncle is that? Yeah, what <laughs> uncle? What, get that uncle. <laughs> what holiday have I been missing? Um, and so that is one of many gates that you run into, particularly from different backgrounds coming into the space that makes you feel like you're not supposed to do this. Mm. It's like, oh, you didn't, oh, you don't have your friends and family wow. network? And so much of this this space, but particularly the beginning, is fight or flight. You know, everything in your body is telling you that this is a very risky thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, you add on different sets of experiences, being women, being younger, being women of color. There's just, it's harder. You have less room to fail. And you have less examples of that success. And so um, I think for us, I'm really proud that we had tough conversations with each other where we said, we don't have, we're not in a, a financial situation where there's um, a nest that we can fall back on. We haven't been in a situation where we've been able to save up, you know, 12 months of, of um, rent or anything like that. But what we do know, to Mara's point, is that we're resourceful. We'll, like, work that side job. We'll waitress. We'll freelance. We'll babysit. We'll do whatever we need to do to float ourselves. If we are not able to raise this money to build this business, we will figure it out. And I think that is so important because... The only way that more people like us push through that hardest first stage of of really challenging the narrative, is this for me or is this not for me? Can I do this or can I not do this? Is recognizing that those experiences that have built resilience are what will allow you to fight through and figure out um, how to make it work. I want to talk a little bit more about venture capital funding, right? Because you two of you essentially beat the odds because there's studies that show that women of color get less than 1% of venture capital funding. So I'm just wondering, how did you break through? Getting through the first door is the hardest. And I think hands down, it was our passion for what we were building. And the fact that we had scaled, do something to over 5 million members, and we had this deep expertise across messaging and marketing for how you reach people around something meaningful that they care about, particularly in like a friend format through messaging, um, was really important. So that experience mattered. But most importantly, I think it was the passion that we had around how frustrated we were with the problem in that the well-being industry was way too bougie. It was um, marketed as a lifestyle that ha- that came with a certain disposable income, and it was overlooking everyday people dealing with everyday issues that 
absolutely needed support because of the daily struggle. Those are the kind of prereqs to get to the to the door, to your yeah. point. And then I think where we uh, had some privilege and some opportunity was our network. So we got creative about our network. We didn't know a lot of investors. We didn't know founders, really. Yeah. But what we did know is people who knew people. To the founders or, or future founders out there that are thinking about this, the grit, the hustle, the resilience, the passion, those are all prerequisites. And um, I think as much as you can get creative about your network, um, I think that's, that's, you know, kind of the part that has to be unlocked for you to get to that next stage. What recommendations do you have for women who want to start a business with a friend? Two pieces of advice. The first is, um, making sure that you have prototyped or tested out in some way as much as possible what it would be like to work together. Um, So obviously we were really lucky because we work together. But if you're friends that maybe just feel really passionate about a specific issue, is it um, working really early on Sundays that that can be a tough thing to do? Is that something that you all are excited to do together? Does one person feel like they don't want to show up? Just testing testing out the day-to-day of um, what it will take as much as you can know to really sacrifice and and um, show up in a very meaningful, consistent way around something around something hard. Um, the, the other thing I would say is um, talk openly about narratives. There's so much workshopping that happens in a really healthy partnership, like any relationship. Um, but it's particularly important when the success of the company is based on you all knowing knowing each other in a really deep well, way and, and having that dynamic. How do you resolve the disputes? There is no major, you know, blow up or dispute where it feels unsolvable. I think the idea of uh, certainly in the beginning, we learned that workshopping was necessary um, because we're all just trying to do our best, trying to be perfect, trying to be buttoned up, um, staying in our own lane. Um, One uh, relationship model that we really like is called 100 to 100. So a lot of times relationships, we think of them as 50-50, right? And that's just not the case. Um, You have to go 100 to 100 and meet the other person where they are. So a 50-50 relationship is, hey, did you get that report done? Um, and someone, you know, might be flustered and or tired or stressed and um, they give you a response you didn't expect or you didn't want. And then you go off into your own head and say like, oh, maybe it's me. Did I do something wrong? Or, oh, she's really off her game. What's up with her? Mm-hmm. Um, but 100 into 100 is saying like, hey, I noticed that, um, you know, that report isn't done. Like, how can I help? What can I do? Or, hey, I started a draft in case you didn't have a chance. I, I know that you had drop off this morning. Like, here's, here's a draft of that report. So 100 to 100 is meeting people fully where they are. Are, and then meeting you fully where you are so nothing can drop, right? Assuming that we're going to be off, people are going to have off days and mo- months and moments. How can you meet people where they are and, and really pick up that slack for each other? This is amazing. Such a great conversation, ladies. That was our Encore episode with Shine from earlier this year. When we checked in with Naomi this week, I asked her how that 100 to 100 partnership was going in a virtual world. One of the really important things that we've realized very early on is the traditions that have to be protected. In the pre-pandemic world, we would always go out for lunch as a team, and we kind of called it our founder dating. Like, you know, when you're in a marriage or a partnership, the reminder to, like, keep dating, we think that absolutely applies to the founder world as well. And why those catch-ups are so important is because, and now we're doing them over Zoom or Google Hangout, is a check-in that is about us. On Friday, that catch-up is really about, hey, how are you doing? How's your family doing? Um, What's been stressful this week? What's been good this week? 
and it's almost like journaling together. We check in and we make sure to create that space where we're not just go, go, go all the time, um, business all the time. It's about making sure that as humans and as partners, we're also really connected. We'd like to know how you're managing your mental health and wellness and relationships with one another during the coronavirus crisis. You can send us a text or call our hotline at 314-200-5947. We might use your comment on an upcoming show. If you'd like to hear more Secrets of Wealthy Women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. Please subscribe, share us on social media, and give us a review. Our producer is Trine Nuri. Our personal finance editor is Bray Lamb. And our executive producer is Kateri Yoakum. I'm Veronica Dagger. Hang in there, Secrets listeners. You've got this. Thanks for listening.